Thanks for joining us for the Exchange Church Podcast. Here's this week's message from Pastor Trey Rose. Good morning, Exchange Church. How are you doing today? Good. Uh, do you enjoy the little cold front that came in? A little bit? No? I believe today um, is entirely up to you uh, how much you're going to walk away from what the Lord is doing and stirring here. Um, first service was incredible. We had a, a few encounters and conversations with a couple of people uh, that the Lord just spoke so so clearly to. And uh, today, I want to continue the series, um, Own the Vision, that we started at the beginning of the year. I think, you know, we celebrated Kayla Glover, uh, such a brilliant owner of the vision. She does so many things in the way she just communicates uh, her heart. You know, um, I don't know if you guys said this, but Kayla pretty much came to know Jesus Christ at the Exchange Church. I mean, um, her journey started here, and she is just one of those homegrown, brilliant leaders that I'm just so grateful that she's here. But I, I look across the room, and there's so many of you. Uh, I look at uh, several of you that were here from day one, Troy and Janelle, uh, completely owners of the vision. I look at people that came later on. And by the way, if you came later on, that doesn't make you less of an owner of the vision. It just means that your season and your time was at a different a place in the history of our church, and we needed every single one of you. I look at Albert in the back. Um, I look at the Kerr family and, and Josh and Dana, just all, all across the room. I could name every single one of you. I'm just grateful for you today. I want to continue the series, Own the Vision, and I want to take you to Nehemiah chapter 2. If you're a newcomer to the Exchange Church and maybe you've not heard our story, Carrie and I try to talk about it a lot because where you've come from and what the Lord has done for you is a critical piece of knowing where you're headed. And so Carrie and I will often talk about how we got here and the, the road to the Exchange Church and what that looks like. But we have a newcomer. It was a dinner on Friday night. We've rescheduled that actually to Sunday afternoon. Not today, seven days from today. So if you're a newcomer or you've been here maybe a year, but you just want to know more about us, we're going to provide lunch for you after church next week. You're going to have an incredible lunch with Carrie and I. I'm sure Carrie will do the most talking um, out of the two of us. Uh, but we're going to just share our story again and what the Lord is doing in our hearts currently even. You know, it changes from day to day what he's doing. And so we really look forward to getting to know you. I hope that you will RCP uh, as soon as you can. But I want to take you to the book of Nehemiah because the book of Nehemiah really kicked off this thing we call the Exchange Church. Can y'all hear me out there? Okay. Um, Nehemiah chapter 2, and I won't go into too many details because you'll probably hear that at the lunch next week. But Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 11 through 18, Nehemiah is back in his hometown and he's about to take a look at the city in the middle of the night and just gauge the devastation, the destruction, and see where they stand. Verse 11 says, I went to Jerusalem, and after staying there three days, I set out during the night with a few others. I had not told anyone what my God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. There were no mounts with me except the one I was riding on. By night, I went out through the valley gate toward the jackal well and the dung gate. 
examining the walls of Jerusalem, which had been broken down, and its gates, which had been destroyed by fire. Then I moved on toward the fountain gate and the king's pool, but there was not enough room for my mount to get through. So I went up the valley by night, examining the wall. Finally, I turned back and re-entered through the valley gate. The officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing, because as yet I had said nothing to the Jews or the priests or nobles or officials or any others who would be doing the work. Then I said to them, You see the trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and we will no longer be in disgrace. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God on me and what the king had said to me. And they replied, let us start rebuilding. So they began this good work. Father, we come before you today. I thank you so much for who you are and what you're doing. God, I thank you for this season and the history and the life of our church. God, I feel that there is just a stirring going on in the hearts of your people and the hearts of your leaders, the staff, the team, the volunteers. And God, I know all too well the stirring that's going on inside of me. So God, I ask that you would help us in the next 25 minutes to lean into the vision that you have for the Exchange Church. God, this thing called the local church, it's a beautiful plan and design that you've created. We know, God, it is your plan A for the hope of the world. It is not your plan B. So let us steward it well. In Jesus' name I pray. Let the church say, Amen. Amen. I am, uh, I know I have gray hair, but I'm a pretty young guy, Shane. I'm 44 years old. I know I look a lot younger than that. It's all right. Uh, but it's true. I'm 44. I'll be 45 this year. And uh, my wife has this contraption in our living room right now, and it's a three-tier thing where you grow indoor plants, and it's got the bulbs. And so right now we've got these massive glowing lamps on for 16 hours of the day, 17 hours of the day in our home because she's growing indoor plants, legal indoor plants. And um, the lights are on at night and you walk outside or you pass by the car and our, our entire first floor is glowing. You should really drive by our house at night and just honk at us, you know, get, us, get our attention. It looks like we're doing something nefarious in there for sure. Um, but she, she's just growing, you know, um, what's that really crazy thing? Basil and t tomatoes and, all, you know, just veggies and herbs and that kind of thing. So it's, it's really no big deal. Um, but there's a bulb that's out. And so yesterday she said, hey, Trey, can you order a bulb? And I was like, yeah, baby, get, let me get the bulb. And so I get the bulb out and I go sit back on the couch. I got my laptop on my lap and I'm looking at the bulb. And I see it says Sun Blaster because it's really big letters, but then there's some gray smudging underneath it. And I said, I think there's writing there. And I said, oh, Carrie, hand me your glasses. And so the boy's running, get her glasses out of her purse. And I put on the glasses and all of a sudden words appear that were not there before. And I said, oh my goodness, I, I can see, I can see. And so I look at the the item number, the product number, there's an 800 number, there's the wattage, there's everything that I need. Everything I needed to know is right before my non-functioning eyes. It was awesome. And all of a sudden I hear this little, my wife, when she giggles and she's being 
a brat, she giggles in a certain way, and she's like, <laughs> and I'm like, what? She goes, I like your glasses, because it's got dime, fake diamonds on the side, and she starts referring to me as some guy in a movie, and anyway, so I take the glasses off real quick, but I realized in that moment something that I'm often reminded of. The ability to see really matters. Vision matters. It really does. And, and we can look around no matter how hard we try, and we can try to see the item number and the 800 number and all, all the information, the website and all the information that we need. But if we don't have what we need to see what we can't see, we'll never see what's right before our non-functioning eyes. And you can't see what you can't see. That's the little tricky thing, isn't it? That's the thing that'll just get you because oftentimes you don't even know that you can't see what you can't see. It's not until after you see what you couldn't see that you realize how much you needed to see what you couldn't see. Well, it's getting confusing really quick, so I'm going to slow down on all of these phrases. But I will say this, vision, vision matters. I love in the book of Nehemiah, Nehemiah that we just read, he goes to Jerusalem to rebuild the city walls. And the Bible says after three days, three days, Interesting. There's a lot of three-day events in the Bible. I'll come back and touch on that in just a little bit. I mean, if you think about all the things in Scripture that happened in three days, it's really, really significant. But after three days, he decides to go out around the city of Jerusalem and just investigate everything that's going on. You see, he showed up with the vision of what God could and would do. But first, he had to get a reality check. He had to go see the damage for himself. He had to see what gates were really down. Where, where was the rubble really at? How bad were the walls really? And so for you and I, if we're talking about vision, there's a, there's a step one. You know, we're often trying to get the vision and run after the vision, but there is a step one that we have to take care of before we ever see vision come to pass. Step number one, vision requires a realistic assessment. I'm not saying to not look at life through the lens of faith. I'm just saying, get real. Reality doesn't intimidate God. Can I say that again? Your circumstance does not intimidate your creator. You don't make God any bigger by acting like your issue is not an issue. If you, if you walk around, somebody says, oh, I've, the doctor said, I've got strep throat. I don't have strep throat in Jesus' name. No, you really do. You, like you do. And saying that you don't doesn't make God any stronger. You have to assess the situation and understand you live in a real world that is impacted by the spiritual world. But the spiritual world doesn't have the freedom to impact a reality that you claim to exist that does not truly exist. In other words, if I've got strep throat and I just say, I don't have strep throat, then there's nothing for God to heal. It is okay for you to admit my marriage is falling apart, but I know a God. It doesn't indicate any less faith by admitting the reality of your situation. I, I can't pay my mortgage. My, my bills are overtaking me. I'm drowning, but 
but I know a God. If you want vision to come to pass in your life, you have to get real. You have to do a realistic assessment of the situation. Many of us never see change in our life because we don't have the courage to admit the frailty of where we truly stand. It's much easier, isn't it, to point the fingers at everyone else and it's their issue and it's their fault and they lied to me and they betrayed me and they did this and they didn't pay me back and I can blame everybody. But as long as I never take ownership of the reality that I've stepped into, I forfeit the right to partner with God for change. We have to have a good reality check if we ever want to see vision come to pass. But here's the other thing I love about Nehemiah. He goes around and he lists everything that's wrong. Did you notice that? He said, this is in ruins and this gate is down and I couldn't even get my horse through here. And I was going through night and we had to go all over this rubble. He acknowledged the ruins. Newsflash. This is in your notes. Anyone can see the ruins. Anyone. Some of you feel like you've been gifted by God supernaturally to see everything that is wrong with everyone else. Isn't that right? What's your spiritual gift? I have the spiritual gift of discernment. I discern that you're wrong. I discern that this is broken. I discern that this is not going to work, right? It's a spiritual gift of negativity and a critical spirit is really what it is. You have no special gifts just because you can see something is wrong. You, you can go to the airport, wait in line for two hours in security, and see there is a problem with TSA. There is a pro but it didn't take a wise person to know that. It just took a patient one. The real leader in the situation is one that can walk on the scene and say, there's a real problem with this system it's broken. doesn't take a genius to see that it's broken, but how can it get resolved and fixed? That's when you get paid for your thoughts. I'm reading this book called uh, Paid for Thinking. Well, it's one of six books. I haven't touched that one in a couple of weeks, but it's big, so cut me some slack. But it's paid for thinking. You want to be a real genius at work? You want vision to really work through you? Use the brain that God gave you. Too often, we just rely on the other senses, what we see and what we hear and what we feel and what we smell to observe and, and talk about a situation. But really, God gave us a brain to fix and resolve situations, not just report on them. Point number three, what I love, Chad, about Nehemiah is he understood that it wasn't just what he saw in the moment. Too many of us stop at what we observe in the moment. But vision happens when we really understand the vision is when we see what God already sees. How many married in this room? How many happily married? Okay, no, I'm just kidding. That's funny. <laughs> Why did you raise your hand, Edward? I'm going to speak from the perspective of a husband because I am one, and it's safer to do that. <laughs> okay, all the wives in here. What was my point? Hold on. 
Y'all throwing me off. Oh, okay. All of the wives in here, let's just assume for a moment, like in some alternate reality, like in a TV show, let's assume you're married and there's some area improvement you think your husband could participate in as a man or a husband or a father, okay? I know that there's nothing your husband can do any better than he already is, but let's just assume. Let's just assume that there's something he could do that's better than what he's, he's currently doing. The more that you point out that disparity, that gap between what he is and what he can be, the more that's highlighted to him and to you, by the way. Let's not ignore the reality. Let's not pretend it doesn't exist. But how about we don't just stop our reporting on what we see? How about we report on what we know God can do in this situation? Why don't you just start calling your husband a man of God, someone that you can look up to, someone that follows through on his commitments? Do you know what I mean? Start calling out the gold in him. Did you, did you know that cyanide, is actually used to separate gold from rock. The very thing that can kill you is a thing that can pull out the gold. Power of our words. You have the power in your words to pull out the gold in people around you. And with those words comes another power. You actually have the power in your words to destroy and break the spirit of the people around you. Vision is when we see what God already sees. Because listen, God doesn't work on a timeline like you and I do. He's not restricted by the 1970s, 80s, 90s, 2000s, 2020, 2030, 2040. Time is irrelevant to God. He was, he is, he is to come. He's already in the future. He's in today and he's still in yesterday. So God doesn't look at your husband where he is in this snapshot. We talked about snapshots last week. God doesn't see your situation in this current snapshot. God sees the situation in the totality of what he sees. So maybe we need to partner with what God is seeing about your spouse or your kids or your dogs or your cats. We already know that answer. Your neighbors, your postal service workers people at the checkout line, your attorneys? What if we just really started to see people through the lens and the heart of God? Then maybe we can get a vision that starts to work for our life. Speaking of vision, I've been asking God, what does he see about the exchange church? Right? I mean, listen, if we're going to talk about you owning the vision, we first have to do a realistic assessment. We can't just say, oh, this is a cool church. It's got good worship. It's got good lights. It's got a good e-kids program. It's right next to Smokey Moe's and Whataburger. This is the place I want to be on a Sunday. We have to understand who we really are. What is this thing that we're partnering with? Like, this is the difference between being all in and fully sold out versus just showing up and being a consumer at church. So who are we? I've been asking the Lord that myself. The Exchange Church is a place where purpose is awakened and developed. That's in your notes if you want to write it down. Purpose. Pur we all want purpose. I, I thought about putting the word destiny there, but the reality is destiny felt too far away. 
Destiny feels like 20 years from now, 30 years. You know, when, I, when I'm old and I've got great grandkids and I've got my, you know, 10 acres and I've got the wraparound veranda and I'm sitting on a rocking chair sipping tea, what do I want my legacy and my destiny to be? That's too far away. I need purpose for today. I need a reason to get out of bed. I needed a reason to listen to my alarm clock at 4.45 this morning. And I love you and all, but there are not many people I wake up for at 3, 4.45 in the morning. I need something more than just a person. I need something more than just a job and a task. I need something more than just an appointment. I, I need to understand that in this 24-hour window, somewhere, somehow, God is going to use my life to literally change someone's world. And I may not see it. I may not know when it happens. I may never get a feedback email on the situation, but there's purpose in today. I, I need to know that there's purpose when I go to Smoky Moe's and every time I go, there are 10 policemen there. And I have this thing, Carrie and I, where we pay for their lunch. Anytime we go and there are cops in a restaurant, we pay for their lunch. I hate that deal. It's fine when it's one, but it's like, move Smokey Moe's somewhere else. I'm not going to lie. One time, I looked out the window and I saw four cop cars, and I decided I wasn't hungry. <laughs> I said, I'm going to fast today, Lord. There's purpose in that. There, there, there's, actually, there's actually purpose when you go to a four-way stop and you don't know whether to go or not. And what's the rule? Is it the person on the right or the left? Or what is it? I don't know. We're here at the same time. There's purpose in your generosity to, to say, you go ahead and go. There's purpose. Isn't that beautiful? There's, I, and I've said week after week, and I'm going to keep saying it until it sinks in, there's purpose in making your bed in the morning. Did you know the most successful people in the world make their beds in the morning? That's dumb, right? It's because they have maids. <laughs> the most successful people make their bed in the morning. My bed currently right now, I'm, one of these Sundays, I'm actually going to make it so I can tell you it's made in the morning. I make it other days, but some, this morning I didn't make my bed. But there's, there's purpose. There's actually, there is actually purpose in staying after church, five minutes late, just to linger. Just to find somebody new and meet somebody new. Not, not to see if you can see old friends. Not to see if you can take home leftovers from the well. Not to see if you can, do you know what I mean? Not to get the extra 10 minutes of babysitting for my e-kids so you can just relax. There's purpose in that too, but I'm just saying. There's purpose. Anytime you, you decide to go outside of your comfort zone, God will use it. He will never waste anything that you're willing to give him. Which brings me to really one of the first points, one of the sayings that I think I want the church to be known for. And I'm not going to put it up here just yet. I'm gonna, it's the first one in your notes. I'm going to see if you can guess the blank. Um, projection, don't, don't post it yet because I just want them to have a chance to win this. If it's worth doing, it's worth doing blank. If it's uh, louder, come on, say it with confidence. If it's worth doing, it's worth doing. Wrong. Wrong. See, I knew you'd fall for that. If it's worth doing, it's worth doing as worship. Doesn't that change things? I know my, my dad used to tell me all the time growing up, and 
I still hold to it. I've taught my kids, if it's worth doing, it's worth doing right. And that's very true. It creates a great work ethic. But there's another kingdom side to this. And if it's worth doing, it's worth doing as worship. So it's not just cutting your yard so every blade of grass looks good. It's while you're cutting your yard, you thank God for a yard to cut. Colossians 3.23 says, Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as if working for God, not for men. If it's worth doing, it is worth doing as worship. The second slogan or saying I want you to become familiar with, and I just created 10 of them, so I'm going to move fast. Is that all right with you? If we'll just move, move quick through this. Because I want a realistic assessment. I want you to know what you're getting into before this big ask in a couple, big ask in a couple of weeks. Excuse me. I did say ask. I'm just making sure that's what you heard. Um, it's really hot in here. Let me just move on. Uh, number two, we are on the front lines of heaven touching earth. We are on the front lines of heaven, touching earth. Have you ever thought about the fact that as the kingdom expands, you and I are on the front lines of that happening? We're not actually in the the inner courts while the army is out. We are the army that's expanding the kingdom. That's why, you know, I actually, uh, we have something here. It's called a war plan. Anyone ever heard of the war plan before? Several of us. The war plan is our Sunday service, or we have them for Wednesday. In, pretty much any time we do something at the exchange, we have what we call a war plan. So it's an itinerary. It's an agenda. It's a service. I don't know what you would call it. Service plan. Service outline. That's a good word for it. But since we started the church, we called it a war plan. Because anytime we rehearse on a Thursday, or anytime we're here on a Sunday, or we're here for flawless, or we're here for heart and soul— I want everyone that's volunteering and having to look at this itinerary to understand this is more than just an itinerary. We are engaging in battle for someone's eternity. Like this is not a patty cake, let's play church and eat our chicken casserole and go home. This is war. That's, that's what we're signing up for when we say yes to the exchange church and what God is doing here. We're, we're signing up to make a difference in the kingdom, not just have a club to go to. So this is a war plan at 9, 1045, doors were supposed to open. Did they open at 1045? Someone says yes, someone says no. Controversy. 1055, uh, own the vision, countdown. 11 o'clock, there was a welcome. Sherry did the welcome. At 1103, praise goes on, sung by Lexi. Look at this, that's crazy. House lights are at 65%, all the spots patio off. I don't even know what patio means. Fade out at EOS, end of song, I guess. At 11.07, they did another song. 11.14, another song. 11.20, they, they plan this down to the minute. Understand that in the seconds, understanding that every second matters, right? This is incredible. 11.21, 11 o'clock, 21 minutes and 56 seconds, they started freedom. Now, whether we did that, I don't know. 11.27, Offering. My wife started. She had four minutes for offering. No. Yeah, four minutes for offering. At 11.31, they did Owner of the Vision. We celebrated Kayla Glover. They had five minutes to do that. They didn't put Kayla's name on there because they wanted everyone surprised. 
Um, and then at 11.36, there was a sermon bumper on the vision. Y'all remember seeing that? And then at 11.37, the word of God started with Trey Rose. 11.37 and 26 seconds. And they gave me until 12.07. <laughs> That's cute. They gave me to 12.07. And then at 12.07, we have announcements for two minutes, and then we're going to dismiss. There's such intention put into this because we understand that every minute of the time that you walk in onto this campus, it's from the time you come onto the parking lot to the time you leave. We're in battle. We're coming alongside shoulder to shoulder with you, standing with you in battle, understanding that the enemy is out to wreck your marriage. He is out to steal your kids. He is out to deplete your finances. He is, he is out to get you addicted to stuff so you lose focus and lose sight of all that God has for you. The devil is after you. And so we understand the power of this moment and that we are on the front lines of heaven touching earth. Number three, I heard this from my, I would love to say mentor as, it, as if I actually knew him. He's just a mentor from afar. He's probably the most genius pastor I've ever met or known. Um, and it's Andy Stanley. And he says this brilliant line that I've adopted throughout the course of our church. And it's simply this, better before bigger. Better before bigger. Before we ever try to focus on growing a ministry, we try to make it better. There's no point in trying to get more kids into eKids if the program in eKids isn't currently exciting and fun. What's the point? Make it better. There's no point in getting more first-time guests onto our campus if we don't have the means and capacity and the passion in this house to actually look after them and follow up with them and pursue them as God pursues them. What's the point? We need to, get, we need to fix our own hearts before the Lord before we try to mess up someone else's. Let's get better before we get bigger because if we get better where we are, the bigger will happen naturally. It's a spiritual principle. It works in everything that we do. Everything. You, you want a, a better place to stay, a better place to live, a bigger house? Clean the house you've got. Organize the house you've got. Sometimes there can be nothing more spiritual than organizing your garage because you're preparing your way for something greater than in your life. I'm serious. You want a newer car? Take care of the car you've got. It may have rust over every piece of metal and you're driving on three wheels. Take care of it and shine it like it's brand new. Because the Lord will never trust us with more if we can't be trusted with what we currently have. Let's get better before we get bigger. Another one, I like this saying too. You may have heard this from time to time. We are entitled to nothing and blessed by everything. Psalm 100 makes it very clear that gratitude is the thing that takes us into the presence of God. I will enter the courts with thanksgiving. We enter into the courts of God through gratitude in our heart. Too many of us, you know what I've noticed? When people newly get saved and they get on fire for Jesus, you could tell them anything and they're like, just tell me more. You could say, really ridiculous things like, hey, God expects you to tithe 10%. Really? Let's do it. Like they just, they get it. 
hey, hey, God expects you to serve. I know you're busy and you're running kids here and there and you're doing all of that, but God really wants a servant's heart to build the kingdom so that you can be the person that provides a way for the next one to say yes. Oh, really? Of course, I'm all in. But the longer we're in the system, the more desensitized we get to the awe and the wonder of the privilege it is to participate in the system. We... We even take it a step further once we begin to understand our true identity in Christ. Because by the way, you're a daughter or a son of God. You are pretty much royalty. And as royalty, we get the, this mentality that, hey, I'm an heir. I'm a co-heir with Christ. I'm an heir to all things kingdom. Like I have a birthright and I, I kind of like earned this moment. But even a birthright can't be earned. It was already bought by someone else. You see, all that Jesus has to give you, you couldn't earn it. There's nothing you did. So even in that, stepping into your birthright as a child of God, you are blessed by it. You are not entitled to it. I am entitled to nothing and blessed by everything. Here's another one that our youth ministry says all the time, and I love it. And I just want to make, I want our adults to say it more often. And I fully believe this, and it's simply this saying, there is nothing more spiritual than having fun. That's true. Some of you are miserable Christians because you're afraid to laugh in the midst of pain. You're afraid to show a smile or to crack jokes when you know that this other area of your life is falling apart. But can I just, can I just tell you, there is nothing more spiritual than having fun. God is a God of fun. He created it. I think for some of us, we... We lessen the amount of fun in our life, feeling like we're getting closer to God, but I actually feel like it's quite the opposite. The less fun of a person you are, the more you need Jesus. There's nothing more spiritual than having fun. Here's another one, another saying that I really like. Excellence will place us before kings. I truly believe that. I There's nothing worse, and I've slipped in this habit from time to time, and then I... I Wake, my wife either wakes me up and she says, what, what are you thinking? Or I realize I'm doing it and I slip into this. Ah, oh, it's good enough. You ever said that? Ah, oh, it's good enough. Good enough doesn't change the world. Good enough doesn't even change your day. You know what good enough does? Good enough allows you to wake up and take enough breaths to let your heart keep beating until you go back to sleep. That's good enough. But excellence will cause you to stand in the presence of kings. The Bible tells us, Proverbs 29, sorry, 22, 29. It says, do you see someone skilled at their work? They will serve before kings. They will not serve before officials of low rank. You improve whatever it is that God has you do, and you bring excellence to it. Even as we said earlier, Colossians 3, 23, uh, whatever you do, do as if working for the Lord. If your excellence factor goes up, then all of a sudden you Make a room, make a way for yourself that you would not have had a way for. You get to stand in the presence of kings. What, what are kings? I'm glad you asked. Kings are provision. Kings are prosperity. Kings are opportunity. Kings are access to the city that you've been trying to get into. Kings are those things that you need to go to the next level. And excellence will get you there. The next saying, I only have couple more. Can I continue? Good. All right. 
This saying is, um, it's not a fun saying, but it's so true, probably the most critical saying that we will ever say at the Exchange Church, and it is this. The future of unity is determined by this conversation. I've said that in my time to a couple of people that are still here with us today, by the way. I, I looked at them, they, they brought something to me and I understood that this was an issue where unity was at stake. How many know that if a church doesn't have unity, they don't have the blessing of God on it? Unity is critical. Unity is the difference between a church and a country club, right? Any old country club is gonna have divisions and little arguments and fights and disunity, but that's not the way a, a church is designed. A church is to be a body such that when there's an infection in one part of the body, the entire other systems of the body work together to fix it. That's unity. This, this conversation um, holds in its hand the power of life and death of unity. We have this little thing called the three-day rule. Who's heard of the three-day rule? Many of us, not all of us. I'm going to go through it real quick. Three-day rule is this. If um, I'm going to use Terry as an example. If Terry comes to me and she wants to complain about some person in the church, let's call her Carrie. She, she call, comes to me, she complains about Carrie, and I say, all right, Terry, listen. Um, the future of unity depends on this conversation we're having. So I need you to go to Carrie within three days and let her know everything that you've just said to me. And I'm going to follow up with her in three days to make sure that's been done. If you don't do it, then I'm going to have to set up a meeting between you, Terry, and, and Carrie, and we're going to all have to have a conversation. And I know that's hard to say. That's hard to say. Isn't that hard to say? But not really when you think about what you're protecting. In the moment of this conversation, I have the capacity to defend what the Lord is doing in and around us. And so I say, you have three days. And Terry would most likely do what many people do in that moment. Oh, no, 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 no. I, it was just a prayer request. I just wanted you to pray for Carrie. Right? That's what we do. And I'd say, no, 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 that wasn't a prayer request. And really, that's none of my business. Um, so we're going to, you're going to have three days. And so then Terry is going to go to Carrie within three days. And, and the beauty of that is they can reconcile. There's, there's stuff brewing there. By the way, if Terry came to me talking about Carrie, I can bet it's not even about the issue that Terry's been telling me about. There's something more brewing on that's been there for a while. I know how the enemy works. Come on, this is human nature. The thing is never about the thing. Can I get an amen? Like the thing that, that she wanted to tell me about was, only the thing that she wanted to share that made her look innocent and good in the situation. She didn't want to share the truth of the matter. And, and quite honestly, she probably can't even see the full truth. Terry, I'm just using you hypothetically. I'm sorry I'm getting passionate. You've not done this before. Please, if you get offended, you have three days. All right. Here's the other thing. If Terry gets offended by me, I've actually had several of you in this room right now. Several. It sounds like I offend a lot of people. I've had a handful of you that have approached me within three days, and you've referenced this rule. 
and you said, you know, Pastor, when you said this or when you did this, uh, I trust your heart, but, you know, this three-day thing, I really, we're trying to fight for unity. I was kind of offended. Can you talk to me and explain that to me? I can't even tell you the amount of respect I have for people that do that. And um, if you don't address it within three days, here's what we ask you to do. Just build a bridge and get over it. If you don't have the courage to address it within three days, you forfeit the right to address your offense from here on out. Why three days? In Scripture, we see over and over that three days is a critical turning mark where anything after three days begins to stink. You see, in Nehemiah chapter 2, it was after three days where the realization of the rubble came to light for Nehemiah. When Jesus healed Lazarus, it was after three days that the body began to stink. Anything left hidden and, and not dealt with within three days will begin to stink, and the aroma can't help but impact other innocent bystanders. So you've got three day, three day rule. That's how we fight for unity. And I know I'm out of time. So I'm just gonna write these three down really quickly. And then I will not take the time to describe them. The eighth one is we host divine. We host divine. We host the presence of God and we host divine moments with our guest, we host the divine. Number nine, legacy outlives us. Legacy outlives us. I am convinced that many of us forfeit a legacy because we're too concerned with ourselves. Now, I'm not one of these preachers that says, put yourself always on the back burner and, and burn yourself out and take care of everyone else and don't take care of you. That's not what I'm saying at all. But, but listen, let's be real. Our culture doesn't need a reminder to uh, look, doesn't need a reminder to not put us first. We, we have no problems putting ourselves first. We have no problem saying we're not putting ourselves first, but we still are putting ourselves first. I'm not about like punishing yourself, I'm, I'm just simply uh, saying this. It's time for you and I as a church to understand that legacy really isn't about us at all. It's only about what he can do through us. There are two kinds of vessels that are empty. A broken vessel, it's empty because the liquid drains out. But a complete whole vessel is empty because they choose to pour themselves out. There's no shame in being empty. There's shame in allowing yourself to remain broken and not become whole so that God can fill you back up again. The final saying I want to leave you with is God wants to be seen and known. God wants to be seen and known. We have a culture code here of expectation. And through all of these clever sayings and fun ideas, a vision. Let's never forget the work of God, the hand of God, the supernatural that can happen when we come together corporately and believe in a God who can do more than we could ever think or ask. He wants himself to be seen. He wants himself to be known. Heavenly Father, I come before you today. I thank you so much for who you are. God, I thank you. God, that you are a God who doesn't play hide and seek with us. You're not interested in playing little games where we are constantly having to wonder 
Are you with us? Are you for us? Do you love us? God, you want yourself to be seen and yourself to be known. So God, I ask you would just help us in the coming days to have eyes to see and ears to hear that which the Spirit is doing in us and around us. God, I ask that you would help us to lean into the vision that you have for the Exchange Church in 2019. In Jesus' name I pray, amen, amen. Thank you for joining us today. We would love to hear how God is moving in your life. Share your story by visiting theexchangechurch.org and click on connect to contact us.